Hello, welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Jill Upton, and with me today is Mike Hansen. Bruce is in uh, lovely springtime Paris at the iconic uh, JP Morgan Paris conference. Uh, no doubt at this point in the evening, sipping some wine and eating some cheese. Uh, you and I, Mike, are stuck here in rainy New York. <laughs> yes. Um, but rather than feel sorry for ourselves, we've got a lot of data to discuss. Uh, the Fed, of course, was the biggest news on the week with the FOMC delivering 50 basis points. I believe that's the first one in probably over 20 years, uh, close to over 20 years at least. I think it's almost exactly 20 years, yeah. Yeah, and uh, announcing the start as well to its balance sheet adjustment. All of that was pretty well telegraphed, and, and yet markets have been just whipsawed all over the place in, in its aftermath, initially thinking it was dovish, then hawkish. Uh, I'm not sure where they're ending the day today. Uh, but, you know, Mike, what was, the, what was the news that we got out of this? And, you know, how should, how should we take uh, what, what we're learning from the Fed this week? Yeah, well, the, on the interest rate front, I guess the the news that the market heard was that the Fed wasn't going to go 75, as if that was really in the cards, which was an interesting take from the market, at least the initial reaction. Uh, the other, I guess, big piece of news on the interest rate front, uh, at least explicit news, was that the Fed is likely to go 50 uh, the next two meetings. So uh, Powell pretty clearly telegraphed that. We've moved our own call now to incorporate that. So we have the Fed uh, hiking to a little bit above 3% by early next year. Um, but on top of that, I mean, he did certainly make it pretty clear the Fed was considering going restrictive if it had to. I think the, the communication from Powell was fairly hawkish when it's all said and done, right? I mean, I went back and took a quick look. You know, the last time that the Fed has gone 50 basis points in three consecutive meetings in the post-Voker period? This ne is the... Never. Oh, yes. you're asking me yes. when? Yes. The answer is oh, never. Wait, wait. 90, oh, never. Okay, not never. 94. 94 was 50-50, 75-50, but it was every other meeting. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to know. Okay. So, yeah, there, there's no doubt that they're very kind of earnest in trying to get to neutral. And, yes. and I agree. That's that's not the news part. Uh, certainly, I think there was a sense that that was there. Uh, but it is, I think, the, the more hawkish, at least for me, and you tell me if I'm wrong, Mike, like I felt like his comment about, hey, when we get to neutral, we're going to look around and we won't really have a hesitancy to go beyond neutral right, if right. we have to. And of course, if you look at our forecast, we we think they do, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying, right? That he basically made it very clear that the Fed's going to do what it takes to get inflation or control. I mean, it was, what was notable to me was he started the press conference apologizing for high inflation, right? So he made it very clear that the Fed is now focused on the inflation side of the dual mandate. Uh, and, and with that, he pointed out that there's no tension in the dual mandate in that the labor market is running hot. Right. So the focus really isn't getting inflation down. Uh, he was asked if the Fed would go restrictive. He would ask if the Fed would, you know, bring about a recession. He obviously didn't want to say that. It's too early to really even speculate on that. And he was pretty clear the Fed's not giving forward guidance beyond the next couple of meetings, but certainly made it clear that the Fed wants to get inflation back under control and will do what it needs to do so. And so in that sense, uh, certainly, I think, left the door wide open for the Fed to go restrictive at some point down the road, if that's what the data warrant. 
Yeah, and, and do you think this element that's in their their set forecast for sure, which arguably is a little stale at this point, uh, but even in the way he talked about wage inflation coming down, do you this do you feel like there's that sense of the immaculate disinflation that that's built into there, or uh, or or do you think there this notion of having to get restrictive at some point uh, is is going to be more in the cards? Is there a shift in their thinking there? Well, they're obviously hoping that things like supply chains and, and commodity prices come down. That helps them at the, at the initially, right? And then what he tried to emphasize was the idea that because the labor market is so tight with, for example, job openings at almost twice the, the unemployment uh, number, right, that that is a sign that there's scope for them to bring down demand without actually slowing the economy. Uh, so it remains to be seen whether that's an achievable outcome, right? Uh, that's striking that the SEP, to your point, has the unemployment rate remaining at three and a half percent for the foreseeable future, even with the Fed hiking, and even with this idea that that is that is still a tight labor market, it's still below the estimate of Nehru, that still should be adding to inflation, right? Right. That's the part that seemed confusing to me, and if if you're an economist, probably felt a little confusing because he can say all the things he said, but they still have an unemployment rate that stays near multi-decade lows, which are should be pushing wage inflation up. The one thing that I felt like, and you tell me if I'm mistaken on this, is that. If you really dug into it and you believe this this dislocation in the labor market, that maybe Nehru kind of moved up in this period and that you get Nehru moving back down, which takes some some uh, pressure off. I mean, it's playing around with the so-called stars in your outlook, which <laughs> maybe be, uh, you know, well, so I, mean, I don't know. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean, Powell was also very clear he wasn't going to be pinned down where our star was, right? So, I mean, the 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 the, the idea that the stars are kind of guiding uh, where policy is going uh, suggests that Powell has become much more concerned or skeptical about that approach, right? Uh, it's interesting that the idea around the Nehru coming down, because you'd have to believe the Nehru would come down below, you know, somewhat well below four, right? Um, and that certainly is a is a number that we haven't seen in quite some time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I would just say you don't. It, one could argue Nehru moved up, you know, to five, which is why you have all this wage inflation, and then it moves back to four, and so yeah, things are tight, just not as tight, and that gets your wage inflation to go. I, I mean, that's just all of that is getting very cute. It's it's plausible. I guess I wish he would have articulated that story a little bit more clearly, but you could make that argument. But Mike, speaking of the labor market, since that is a big driver of everything, obviously we had the payrolls today. Um, Kind of felt like a, a a good report in the sense that it you don't see the way the wage pressures came off a little bit. It's still strong, so the economy's doing well. Um, is there anything that we should kind of be look at that report as kind of something worrying in there, or is it just consistent with everything that we expected and keeps the Fed moving? Yeah, I think big picture, uh, it was very much consistent with the idea that the labor market is still running hot and things generally remain tight, right? So you had. Uh, you know, close to our forecast, four hundred twenty-eight thousand for for non-farm payrolls. Uh, it was above consensus. That's a bullseye. Right? I, yeah, this, exactly, right? exactly, yeah. right. Uh, and while the household survey was was weak, both in terms of the job creation numbers and uh, the labor force numbers, it didn't move the unemployment rate. Uh, and that report tends to be volatile. And of course, you had the the back half of last year with much stronger growth in the household numbers than you had in the uh, payroll numbers. And so you're probably bound to get a little bit of give back there 
given that those things do trend together over time, right? So from the job creation side, I think it still shows, you know, the household numbers notwithstanding, and, and given there's some volatility there, it still shows a very strong report there. Uh, the fact that wage growth is running at 5.5% on, on an annualized basis suggests to me that the Fed probably doesn't see this as a material slowing in the, in the wage story, right? Uh, you know, I think over time, uh, the Fed really needs to see some moderation in those wage growth numbers to feel comfortable that inflation is going to converge to target, right? It doesn't have to happen all in one month, of course. But, you know, right now, I would say this is a wage report that keeps the Fed very much on track to be hiking in relatively aggressively to neutral. Right, right. Okay. And then just starting to move a little bit outside the, the Fed in the, in, in the U.S., I mean, in terms of just the central banks, we had a, quite a bit of central bank activity this week. Uh, I guess one, just just a real quick summary on what we what we learned there, and then two, I would ask you: Does the the relatively modest but a, still a meaningful change in our U.S. view, adding another twenty five, does that change anything? Yeah, I mean, what you basically saw was a continuation of the kind of the last holdouts amongst uh, dovish central banks pivoting more hawkish, right? So you had Rick Spanks last week. You had the RBA this week, and they moved a little more than expected. They changed their forward guidance in a way that now looks like they're going to be going uh, notably faster than we had thought. Uh, and you had, of course, the surprise intermediate move by the RBA in India. Uh, RBI. Yeah. Uh, RBI in India. Uh, and, uh, you know, they also had been very dovish uh, and sort of kind of capitulated on the idea that, you know, they really need to get back uh, in line with getting inflation under control, right? Uh, you had a number of other central banks that continued uh, pivots in, in hawkish directions. You know, you had a couple of CE economies. You had uh, the, the Bank of England with uh, three members dissenting for a larger than 25 basis point rate hike. Uh, they're in an interesting position because there's a lot of concern that in the back half of the year, particularly given how much uh, just you have these discrete energy price hits to consumer spending, that you could really see some material weakness. Uh, against that, and and therefore kind of in line with our forecast that they're going to continue to to hike through uh, early next year, is the fact that the labor market there still remains quite resilient, and wages look like they're going to be probably stronger than the BOE is currently expecting. Right, so you know we don't think that they're going to turn particularly dovish anytime soon, uh, and they are on track to actually start uh, balance sheet uh, selling of assets even before this discussion potentially gets going with the Fed. Uh, by by November of the, this year, so uh, you had obviously a, a, a number of central banks that continue to be on, on the hawkish side. You've got a few of the EM central banks getting close to the end of their hiking cycles. Uh, so, uh, you know, like I said, a couple of the CE countries, perhaps maybe uh, some of the uh, um, uh, Latin American countries. Brazil comes to mind. Uh, others still have a ways to go. Uh, and of course, in Asia, they've been lagging the cycle, and so you know, out in front. That's, there, I think that's like, an area where yeah. we probably think more hikes are, are needed right. to be put into the forecast. But we, we'll, we'll wait. And we, that that's still to come. Yeah, uh, generally, though, the, just, go ahead. Say we just did it for the BOK, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Hikes in. Yeah. Yep. But you're right. That's right. Yep. Um, so then, outside that, I mean, it's obviously kind of strong growth, strong inflation, hawkish shift central bank. This yep. is kind of the repeated theme, which is yeah. which is funny because the immediate near term on on growth is actually a little um kind of worrying, I guess is a maybe a euphemism for things. I mean, we did get the PMIs this week. Um those were kind of mixed, right? Because it it 
gave us something a little bit about the China shock that we're worried about, but it also right. gave us a sense of resilience. Why don't you give us a flavor for uh, yeah, kind of what we got I mean, there? They very clearly show that China is experiencing a notable weakness in uh, domestic activity, uh, particularly uh, services, but also very notably on the manufacturing side, given the zero COVID policy that there's no sign they're backing away from, right? The political bureau uh, reinforced that that's kind of what they're uh, planning to do for the foreseeable future, right? So we already had marked down growth in China pretty substantially. This is now, I think, suggests even more downside risk, perhaps the possibility of an outright contraction uh, for the current quarter in China, right? Uh, that has had some signs of spillovers to the region in some of the trade data, but not in the PMIs. The PMIs generally were resilient. Um, there, are, uh, if you do an ex-China PMI or certainly if you look at developed uh, world PMIs, they actually held in quite well at levels that are consistent with solid growth. Right. So in that sense, our idea that the economy is, you know, in a poison position for continued kind of uh, reopening dynamics, supporting above trend growth. The, the PMIs outside of China are broadly supportive of that fact. Yeah, Within it's very, the- very surprising. Right. I mean, I, I, I have to say I kind of am expecting a bit more weakness to come. And I think it's still early on that front. So we're definitely not out of out of the woods. Uh, and you're, you're right to point out the trade data, particularly the capital goods. Trade, capital goods, IP, kind of our our capex nowcaster is really starting to to look on the soft side, even contracting in the monthly, uh, in the in the monthly prints. So there there's there are some signs of weakness, but I I guess overall it's a bit of a surprising resilience to the the number of headwinds that are are still working through the the global economy. Yeah, I think um, to your point, it, it's all about whether there's a lag effect that's going to come, right? I think the other place where people are are rightfully concerned is there's a lot of anecdotal evidence or a lot of anecdotal news suggesting that supply chain uh, backlogs have become really significant in China. And you saw very limited hints of that, perhaps, in the some of the PMI detailed data where you know there was a slight pickup uh, in input costs and there was a, a slight lengthening of uh, supplier delivery times, right? But it wasn't anything dramatic. Um, and it may just be that there's a lag, and it may just be that there's actually more resilience than we, we might have at first thought. So we'll have to right. see how it plays out. It's unclear. Yet. Right. To be determined. All right. Well, let's uh, let's uh, start to wrap it up there. I mean, the other risk I should just say is obviously Russia Ukraine continues to be a threat. We did get some news on the the oil embargo out of Europe. That that's a proposal at this point, but if that may be just a, a replacement for the potentially more damaging natural gas embargo, which is looking less and less like that's going to happen. Um, and so maybe all of this will be less damaging than we thought. But nonetheless, there's still that risk uh, there. Um, in terms of the data flow next week, uh, we get a lot of CPI data. Of course, the you know most important one, because uh, we sit here in the U.S., will be the U.S. Um, and there we're looking for four-tenths on, uh, on both core and headline. Uh, headline dips from 8.5 to 8.3 OIA and uh, the core from 6.5 down to 5.9. So some cooling in the OIA, still solid sequential month-on-month readings. The other big news, of course, will be the China trade data, which will give us a sense, Mike, on, on kind of some of the potentially right. the spillover. And we are looking for not only big declines in imports, which is a domestic demand comment to some extent, uh, and then big declines in exports as well. So both those should show some of that. So with that said, uh, thank you for joining us. We look forward to continuing the conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.